Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before, if you know much about him, but he was a German Lutheran pastor during the World War II times, and he was completely against everything that Hitler was doing. And so some of the things that he did, he would teach pastors in an underground seminary, like making sure that he could invest in them in the church in that way so that they would know things that God's word said and how do we lead well. There's one time that he left for America to come and be a guest lecturer over here. And yet, while things were going on back in his home country, he was struggling because he's like, how can I go back when all of this is done and teach people, hey, this is how we need to continue to live as Christians if I'm not there when everything is going on? And so even though he knew that it could be dangerous for him, he went back. Some other things that you need to know is that he also signed up to be um, part of the German secret service. Now you might go, well, why did he do that if you know, he, didn't, he was against everything? Well, he actually acted as a double agent. Like he would learn all these things and then pass them along to other people going, this is what we need to do or as the church, how we need to act. In fact, he was part of a group that attempted to assassinate Hitler. And now that, that group um, was unsuccessful, obviously, but with that, he was caught. Like they found out that he was part of this group. And so then he was thrown into prison and eventually a concentration camp. And both of those for over years is where he spent much of his life, two or three years there. And he spent that time, though, even while he was in prison, even while he was in a concentration camp, seeing how he could impact other people with the truth of God, with the love of God. And so, so many other prisoners would get to hear about a God who loved them and watched over them. In fact, there were a lot of guards that would then start listening to him. And so I've even heard stories that uh, certain rotations had to happen so that guards wouldn't be just over him too often just because of the influence that he had on people. Well, one month before Germany surrendered, he was hanged. Like his time came, and yet people even saw him uh, in this act and watched how he died very peacefully and very um, submissive to God and his will, going, God's got this. I am just going to do what he has called me to do. Now, I tell you all about him because he wrote a book called Cost of Discipleship, which I've just started reading. And this last uh, week was kind of chapter one. And in his first chapter, he talks a lot about this idea of cheap grace, You know, this grace that God gives us, but sometimes we've cheapened it. And so he says, not just us, but a lot of Christians, we like this idea of being saved. We like the idea of being able to go to heaven and having eternal life, but not really being a disciple of Jesus. Like our lives don't change. And so for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I like Jesus and my life is going to look the exact same, but I'm going to come sit in a church service on Sunday morning and hear that I'm forgiven. And then I go out and live the exact same way that I ever did before. He said, that's cheap grace. That's not what Jesus came to, to bring. That's not what he calls us to be. We're supposed to be followers. In fact, he said what happens is people have taken the word justification, making sure that something is okay. And when Jesus came to die, he came so that you and I can be justified, that God would look at you and go, I love you in spite of all the sin. Like you are mine. You are seen as pure in my sight. Like you are justified. But what some Christians have done is we've switched it and we've justified the sin, saying I'm, I'm saved so I can go and do whatever I want. And he said what happens is that becomes cheap grace. Instead of us following after uh, God, he said, when we follow, it should cost us something. Okay, now not monetarily, but the idea that there's something in my life that should change. All right, it shouldn't look the same as it did before. 
which goes right along with what we're talking about as we're looking at our mission statement here at South Rock, the idea of helping people find and follow Jesus. Like as we find him and begin this following stage of our life, he continues to change us. And we've talked about how we give him our past and he's in charge of our future. We've talked about how our families and our marriages look different. We talked about even the use of time and we give it to him. And today we're talking about money because Jesus spoke a lot about money. And maybe you've heard that before, but maybe you didn't know this. One out of every 10 verses that Jesus is speaking in the gospels has to deal with money. And so as I think about that, if this is a big deal with Jesus, then it's obviously supposed to be a big deal to us. And we need to think intentionally about how we use money. And so as we follow him, he transforms how we use it, and he transforms even the viewpoints that we have about money. And so this morning, we're going to look at Scripture to see what God wants us to know about money. We're not going to look at everyone, okay, because we'd be here for a long time. But we're going to contrast, okay, this is what I do if I'm using it the way God wants me to versus the way not using it the way God wants me to. And so if you have your Bibles, get those out. If you have a device that has the Bible on it, get those out because we're going to spend time looking at different passages. And uh, I love being able to have it because I love circling a word in my Bible or underlining a verse if that's something that like jumps out to me. Or even sometimes I've been in a sermon when someone is preaching something, I'm like, what is the context of this? And so I'll keep reading around it just because God is nudging something in me. And so maybe he'll do that with you as we're looking at these scriptures and so becoming more familiar with God's word. So the first place I want you to turn is the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So it's kind of near the end of your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 6, so I'm still going to give you time to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, seeing what God wants us to hear. So I'll give you about 10 more seconds. That's right. All right. If you're not there, you'll get there hopefully in a moment. Here's what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction." It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so we read that and we say, hey, this is godliness and contentment, how beneficial that is, but watch this love of money and what it can do. Also now I want you to turn to Hebrews. It's only a couple books later. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're only going to read verse 5 here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And I'll have you hear something that's very similar to what we just read. So here, the author writes this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so from these two sets of verses right there, I look at this choice and I see that we have this choice to either love money or be content. Both of those verses said, hey, don't love money. You need to be content instead. And so money can be a very clear gauge. It can be an indicator of our hearts. It can show what our motives are. Like, why do we do something or why do we buy something? It can show what our ambitions are. 
What is it that we want? What kind of things are we striving for? It can show what our insecurities are. Like, what are we trying to hide? Or what are we trying to make up for because we don't feel like we're good enough? Sometimes money can expose our greed. You can see that it's all about me in this certain area. Money can also show our internal value system. Like, what is important? Because you see what you spend money upon. And if we choose to love money, it can cause our hearts to decay. It can pollute our ambitions. It can stain our Christian lives. Or worse, as we heard in that First Timothy passage, it can actually cause people to wander from the truth. Now, it's important to understand this. Money doesn't do any of that. Money doesn't cause people to wander from the truth and all those kind of things. But it's the love of money that causes that to happen. There is a big difference. Money, when it's used right, can bring about so much good. It can provide for our families. It can support our churches. It can bless ministries. It can care for the needy. So money itself is not evil. But as we trust God with our money, as we follow the instructions that he has given to us, it helps us to be content with who we are. It helps us to be content with how we spend our money, however much we have. And so God calls us to be content. And as our view of money changes, we realize, I can't take it with me. Like that which I have right now, I can't take with me forever. And so at that point, I realize, if I can't take it with me forever, this is not what should be the most important thing in my life. And as we grasp that, it really does help us to be content. And so the first choice we have really is, will I choose to love money or am I going to be content? So let's look at a couple more scriptures here. We're going to turn back to Matthew. So the first book in the New Testament, all right, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to go. Matthew chapter 6. Part of the Sermon on the Mount here. We're going to look at verse 19 is where we're starting. And again, I bet you've probably heard a verse here uh, underneath and Yours might even have a different word or so in there. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 is what we're looking at. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now I also want you to turn over to Luke. So two books later, Luke chapter 16. Again, listening to Jesus' words here that are going to be very similar to what was recorded there. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Chapter 16. And so again, just looking at three verses of 13 through 15, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, well, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So as I'm listening to both of these sections, the choice that I see from these passages is, will you love money again or love God? Love money or love God. One master is going to win out in your life. 
It can't be both God and money. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have both of those in your life. God can be there and money can be there. But one will be that which you ultimately live for. One will be that ultimate desire of your heart. And so Luke described the Pharisees as ones who loved money. And if we choose to do that, we end up focusing on that which is just right in front of us, that which is temporary. We try to find our pleasure through what money can bring. And we end up trusting in this money and what it brings for our security and the meeting of our needs. But on the other hand, if I choose to love God and I place my trust in him, at that point, he becomes the one that I really do give my whole life to. And I get to watch him bless me. Like I watch as he provides for us. I watch as he even uses money to do that. But that money is only a tool. It's not the object of which I trust. And so we all have the choice, who is going to be the master? Am I going to love money or am I going to love God? Now we're going to turn to the Old Testament. Go back to Psalms, all right? If you don't know where that is, open to like the middle of the Old Testament, you're probably there. All right, Psalm chapter 50. All right, Psalm chapter 50. We're going to go to verse 9. And again, I'd imagine most of these verses are ones that maybe you haven't heard, except that a phrase or two in there, you're like, ah, I've probably heard someone speak this before. Psalm chapter 50, verses 9 through 12. So here's what the author says. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And so the choice that we get to make from this verse actually has to deal with how you view things. It's either... God is the owner or I am the owner. That's the choice here. God is the owner or I am the owner. Now, why did I say how you view things? Here's why. Because God owns it whether you view it that way or not. Like, it's all his. So even if you choose not to see it that way, you're just living in a lie. It is all God's. The cattle on a thousand hills, the insects in the field, the world, all that is in it, it's his. And since everything in this world is his, that means that everything that is in your world is also his. And so the question is, will you view it that way? You know, one really helpful concept to understand is that you and I, we're only stewards of the things that we have. We're not owners. We're stewards. And so God has given us money. He has given us possessions. He's even given us time, as we talked about last week. And we get to decide how we're going to use it, but we're not the owners. Ray Ortland once made this point. He said, yes, you and I, we're supposed to trust God. We're called to trust God. But do you also realize that he trusts you? He gives you these things and then trusts you to use them well. And so the question could be, are you being a good steward of the things that God has given to you, that he has entrusted with you? In fact, a couple of Jesus' parables talk about people who don't use money or don't use possessions that he's entrusted to them very well and the outcome isn't very pretty. But as a follower of Jesus, like knowing that I am only a steward of his money can immensely help you as you're trying to deal with finances. Like if it's all his anyway, you know what? If he wants me to have something, then I'm going to have it. 
Now, that's not a call to be lazy. Okay, if I'm supposed to have it, God's going to give it to me. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's a shift in mindset that it's all His anyway. And so if I'm supposed to give something away, well, it was never mine to begin with either. It's all His. And so God is the owner. And so will we choose to live in the freedom of that viewpoint, of that knowledge? Okay, we're now going to turn back to 1 Timothy 6 again. So you've already been there, so you know where it is. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Only this time we're jumping down to verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And we're going to be reading verses 17 through 19. So here's what Paul writes to Timothy. <clears throat> he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So in there, there's a sentence about command people you know, who are good to do good and in, in, you know, who want to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to share, those kind of things. Now I want you to turn to the book of Malachi. So it's the last book in the Old Testament. It's right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3. We're just going to read verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And what's happening in the context here is God talk, is talking to his people. He's saying, hey, here's an area that I'm disappointed in, that you're not following my instructions. And so we get to verse 10. And he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so the choice from these texts is give to God or don't give to God. Am I going to choose to give to him or am I going to choose to keep it for myself? Am I not going to give? You see, God had set up for his people back in the Old Testament this thing called a tithe. The idea of I'm giving 10% of what I have to him. It was a way to provide for the priests and for the needs of the nation. But it was also a very practical way to show that I trust God. That I'm going to follow the ways that he has set up. And as you and I, as we understand who God is, like, and we become greatly, greatly, um, let me say that again, deeply grateful for the things that he has done in our lives. Like for me, like I want to give him my best, not just kind of the leftovers. I want to give him the first fruits, as scripture calls it. And it's not just because I have to. Like, are there ever mo moments that maybe you give because you're supposed to? Like, I can tell you there are moments that I do. But if you think about it, almost any habit that we have, there are moments that you don't feel like doing it. Do you always feel like waking up and going to the gym? Do you always feel like passing over dessert? Do you always feel like doing that chore? Probably not. And yet I will tell you this, as you give to God consistently, you'll find that your heart is going to change and that you're going to want to do it. Like your heart is going to become generous, as 1 Timothy had said, and you're going to want to share what you have. Now, I've heard some people talk about this idea of giving and going, well, I want to give, but I can't afford it right now, so I'm going to wait till I can afford it. And I just kind of think about it, 
And I've heard some people say, well, I'm going to wait until I can afford having kids, and then I'm going to start having kids. And I kind of go, do you think you can ever really afford kids? Like, just ever. And so sometimes we think that with giving, but God wants to be the priority in our life. And so if you're in debt, or money is really tight, or you're struggling with this issue, I will tell you this, that if you choose to give to him before anything else, you'll be amazed at how God continues to come through to help you out. And as I tell you that, that's not this health and wealth gospel message where, hey, you give and it's going to be paid back to you financially and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying either. In fact, I read coming across um, in one of the books that I read, talked about, you know how TV evangelists say, hey, you need to give to us and then God's going to bless you with all these things. I said, why is it never the other way around that, hey, TV evangelists, why don't you give to everyone watching and watch God bless you? You know, it's never that way. And so we have this idea, this health and wealth gospel, though, that, hey, if you give, everything's going to be great for you. And that's not what I'm saying at all as far as God's going to pay you back dollar for dollar. But I will tell you this, that when God is helping you, when he is on your side because you are following after him, you will be able to accomplish so much more than if you're trying to do it yourself. God wants us to prioritize him, which includes what we do with our money. I'm going to be honest. I wish that we could have a genuine conversation here, those online meeting up with people, and simply talk about this topic of giving without any kind of judgment whatsoever. And people could go around and go, hey, do you tithe? And it's not so people can go, well, I know who tithes and who doesn't. That's not what I'd want. Instead, if you do, can you tell me what you've seen God do in your life? Can you tell me the stories? And for those of you who have never attempted to tithe, I think that you would hear amazing things about how even in the tough moments, God watches over people. You would hear of people's faithfulness of giving to him and trusting him and stories of how it is totally worth it. And I'll tell you, I know some of you are probably going to be really real in this topic and you may talk to someone or maybe even in a small group that you guys are part of. And hey, let's talk about this because it's biblical. Can I tell you this? If you choose to do that and someone asks if you tithe and you don't, let me start out by giving you the permission. Don't try to justify it or feel guilty. Just say no. All right? Don't be like, oh, well, here's why or all that kind of stuff. I would encourage you to try it out. And I know sometimes we've done in the past, hey, for two months, why don't you try to do this and just see what God does in your life? And if you're to take that challenge, like two months from now is approximately Easter. Just go, God, I am going to give this to you for the next two months, and I want to see you as Malachi, as we read there, how you're just going to provide for my needs. So I would encourage you in that. But let me tell those of you who do tithe, and if someone were to ask you, I would also encourage you to answer out of a place of humility, of what God has done for you, not a prideful, hey, look what I've been able to do. Speak in a way of this is what happens as I follow after God. I'd love just for some of those conversations to happen. But I think about this question as we're talking about money, and it could simply be asked this. Do I own my money or does my money own me? Do I own my money or does the money own me? I can tell you this, that if you choose to give to God, there's a greater chance that you're the one controlling your money instead of it controlling you. So the final verse that we're looking at today is in 2 Corinthians. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians. It's right after 1 Corinthians, just in case you didn't know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> and so here's what Paul writes here. 
Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And here's the final choice that this verse points to. Will I be a cheerful giver or an obligatory giver? Am I going to give out of cheer or obligation? And so maybe you've decided to give to God and you do that. And could I just ask, does it come from a place of desire, a place of worship, a place of thankfulness? Or does it come because I'm required to? Or maybe you even give reluctantly. I want you to know that God really does enjoy a cheerful giver, which makes sense because we do too. When someone gives you a gift, you want them to mean it. You want them to be able to, you, you know, you realize that they care about you in some way. And as we follow after Jesus in this area of giving, our desire becomes wanting to give out of a cheerful heart. And I'll just tell you, as we're talking about money and where we live, because our nation is pretty wealthy, it can be easy to trust in money. Like it can just kind of be easy without even realizing that we place our trust in finances. But as we follow after God, like he says, I want all of you. I want all of those puzzle pieces. I want you to be able to trust me, which includes in this area of money. And it is such a freeing feeling when we worship with the use of our money. And actually, that's why I can stand up here and preach about money without any kind of hesitation. I don't have to come from this place of you have to do this because this is what scripture is telling you to do. And like, I don't have to do that. Instead, I can come from this place of, I want you to be able to experience this joy and this freedom that comes with trusting God that when people choose to trust money, they miss out on it. That's what I want you to be able to experience of what he has for your life. And I was thinking about this entire sermon and all these different choices that we have. Am I going to love money or am I going to be content or love God? You know, is God the owner or am I the owner? Am I going to give to God? Am I not? Am I going to be a cheerful giver and all those kind of things? And I thought back actually to one sermon or a point even that I heard um, one of my professors say in college. And he said, you know what? God wants all of us when, we're, when we give our lives to him. He said, but I'm pretty sure that when I was baptized, my right foot stayed out because I still drive over the speed limit. He's like, it's a struggle that I have, so I'm sure it didn't get in the baptistry, you know? And so like, I just remember that. I'm kind of in thinking about this idea of money. Like, and who are we going to trust? Are we going to choose to trust in God and everything that he says or are we going to allow our hearts to be tied to this? If you think about it, whenever we go to the baptistry, like we don't have our wallets, we don't have our purses. But maybe what we really do need to do is when we choose to follow Jesus, or even afterwards, we need to simply say, it's all yours. It's not mine anymore. Now, I don't literally want you to throw your wallet or your purses in here. The custodians would hate that, like if everyone was doing that. But I do also think that Maybe it is that visual reminder of it really is all God's. It's not mine. And I'm going to completely trust him. Maybe in this area that is a big deal if Jesus talked about it so often, but I'm going to follow after him. And I'm going to enjoy the gifts that he gives me. But even more than that, I'm going to enjoy the giver because he's the one that loves us. 
And so as we come to our invitation time, maybe you need to know that giver just a little bit more. Maybe you want to find out about this Jesus who is worthy to be trusted. And if so, I'd encourage you to go to the decision point. And if there's anything that you need prayer for, we want to come alongside as a church. But let's learn to completely trust him included in this area of money. Let's stand as we sing.